Hi, this is Nayetta. Hi, this is Sid. And welcome to The Help Show. Hi, thank you for joining us again for our third episode in our October four-part series, Addicted to Losing Yourself. Today, we have Miss Beverly Carroll from Nexus Rehabilitation Center. Miss Carroll is an executive adolescence program director. She will be interviewing with Sin about substance abuse, drug addiction, and the road to recovery. Okay, we're here at Nexus Recovery with Miss Carroll, and we're going to conduct a short interview on the topic of drug addiction. So we're going to ask, I'm just going to ask a couple questions, and we would love to hear your professional opinion and facts on this. So the very first question is, what is drug addiction? Drug addiction is basically when a person's life becomes unmanageable while they're under the influence of drugs. And when they cannot stop on their own, they find themselves mentally, spiritually, and physically bankrupt and a powerless over what the drugs can do to them. What factors can affect an individual's prediction and their influences for the risk of drug addiction? So I, you know, being in foster care, I would see children that were born with mothers that were addicted to drugs or children that were born into an environment, I mean, how much of a role does that have in someone's predisposition to being addicted, you know, their biology or environmental factors? Well, I believe that that plays a big part in it um, because one of the main things that we talk to our clients about is people, places, and things. It could be the people that makes one susceptible to being addicted. It could be the places and it could be certain things that contribute to them being addicted. And I believe that if they're raised in a household where drugs are, are, are used, then that, that is another uh, factor that they live in that environment, therefore they probably will end up addicted to drugs. And I've seen it go to extremes where kids, mm-hmm. get, they get education, then they're determined that they're not going to uh, be like their parents or be like their uh, other relatives that they see grow up um, with um, a possible addiction. So in your situation, I mean, let's just say it was a friend and we saw this, their child growing up in this environment. What are some things we can do to try to prevent it? What are some things we can do to try to intervene that it's not our child, so we don't want to overstep that boundary, but what are some things we can do or we see it in a friend, you know, that grew up, like our friend L.A. that committed suicide, like we saw you know, he grew up with a lot of hardships, you know, being a gay black male. He feel like he didn't have support, and then he was on a lot of prescription medic- drug medications, and then it gradually just kind of, like, built and led to other things. I mean, what can we do to try to, I guess, prevent it or help the situation? Well, one of the first things is I believe that you can talk to that person first of all. Talk to that person and establish some type of trust with that person. Mm-hmm. One of the big mistakes I think that people make is that we're not going to talk to the person. We're going to talk to everyone around that person, then go yes. to that person. So then they don't feel uh, they feel violated, and they feel like they've been talked about, uh, gossiped about, and yeah, and feel attacked. So once you've talked to that person and build trust, and then create avenues of solution with that person, then they have a choice whether they're going to do it or not. 
-hmm. Therefore, uh, if they're if they don't feel like they're moving forward with the solution that the two of you have come up with, then I believe it's time to take it to another level because it's in a crucial stage. Mm -hmm. Stage and this person is not talking. Uh, so you want to include a close family member and go with that family member to that person. Maybe in some instances it's good to go with two or three people to the person. That would be like an intervention. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of talk about how, how their behavior is affecting you. You're not talking about them, mm -hmm. but you're just saying, you know, when, when I see you going through this, this is the way it makes me feel. And this is what I want to have to help you with the solution. That way you can present more solutions and you're expressing how it's affecting you and give them an opportunity for change. And then if that really doesn't work, I know there are mental health warrants that you can go to the court and get a court order for this person to receive some type of help because they're in danger to themselves mm -hmm. or to someone else. But that's the, the first thing I suggest is to talk to that person mm -hmm. one or two times maybe, however many times because it takes time to establish trust. Yes. And a lot of people, especially uh, early on, on addiction, don't trust, you know. Mm -hmm. So that is very important. And then get them to buy in, maybe creating uh, a reward or some type of incentive, so to say, in that situation. What are the payouts for you mm -hmm. getting clean? How is your life now? Create some discrepancies in you say you want a house, you say you want to get off drugs, you say you want your family back, so what are you willing to do? Because you saying you want this stuff, but you have to do something to get it, and I'm here to help you. So, because a lot of times people will say one thing and do another, yeah. so that's the discrepancy that you create, and then you use their own words. So you said you want to do this, and that's probably after the first or second time that you meet with them. But the first time is to establish trust with them. Well, this... That brings me to the next two questions. So in our society, like recreational drug use is something that's, I hate to say it, but it's kind of common. Like I see it all around us. So I think when we look at a friend, it's like we don't really know when to kind of look at the signs and symptoms or like what are in our society right now, what you're dealing with here in Nexus, what is the most commonly abused drugs? Like what is happening with our society? Like what do you see that's common right now? Well, marijuana is common. Mm -hmm. Uh, methamphetamines, common, um, opiates, mm -hmm. and I would say alcohol. Okay. You know, but the top ones I would say would be uh, the methamphetamine, alcohol, and opioids right now, like the painkillers, like that. Now, I've had, I think, I want to say now in hindsight, like I look back, I may have had a couple people in my life that were addicted and then they would try to stop on their own means but not know how to reach out for help and fear of judgment like what what are like withdrawal symptoms like like what do what do you feel what do people go through like what are the signs and symptoms that like you know that there are there is substance abuse in their life and then like if they're trying to stop like what what do you see like what do you well mainly with the um with crack uh meth mm -hmm. They experience a lot of scratching, a lot of, um, well, they don't eat. Mm -hmm. um, some of them like sleeping a lot. Uh, with the heroin, uh, it's big on them, like um, going through, like ants crawling on them, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then they go through the withdrawal period of like two or three days. 
and some of them you have to stay in the bed, give them medication. Mm -hmm. And that's why we suggest really with any detox that they are in the hospital and that they're seen by a doctor because, you know, different people, some of them have different symptoms. Yeah. And then it depends on what drug they use, how much they use, how long they use, uh, that they, their body will take to detox. Okay. So it just, it kind of depends. But mm -hmm. uh, we usually do an assessment of how much, how, what a route did you take? Did you mm -hmm. use a needle? Did you smoke it? Did you, you know, how it was ingested? So all of those play a part in the detox and how long you would take to detox. So I guess that kind of answers my question because like, we you know, we go online and Nayara, we were like on WebMD last night and we were looking at all these signs and symptoms, you know, and I'll say something vague. Mm -hmm. So there's very like general symptoms. So mm -hmm. I, I guess bottom line, it's more if something's really over exaggerated or something's out of character for someone mm -hmm. to kind of yeah, and when you know a person, I mean, when, you, when you're around a person, you'll know if their behavior is different. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and I know when I was working with kids, when the cheese was out, and cheese is a mixture of heroin and Tylenol PM or Benadryl. So this was probably about nine, ten years ago. But the kids were mixing the heroin with Benadryl and Tylenol PM. And we had kids dying left and right around here in Dallas for a while. And they would be... I remember when I was doing some adolescent groups, kids would be nodding out in group, but they just nod out like that. And a lot of times parents wouldn't know because the kids be at home in their bedroom sleep. They thought they would, you know, just sleep at the school, but they would actually be hot till they found this stuff. And the thing is, a lot of kids were dying because if you mix it on your own, you don't know how much or what to put in it. So they were putting too much heroin and they were using it right in the classroom, like right off the lids of their pens, pencils. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and so I went to a few funerals, you know, back then. And we had one adolescent that, um, she was here four months. She was discharged that weekend. Her mom let her go to a friend's house. Mm -hmm. And her mom was, I guess it was around the corner or whatever, but the ambulance passed her mom. They were all standing outside. Kind of found out it was her daughter. And her daughter died. And the reason is... She had been clean for four months, got out, she used one time, and by them not, her tolerance was different, and she used that one time, and she died, because of the level of heroin that they mixed themselves with Benadryl, Tylenol, PM, and both of them were down, so you don't know how much, yeah. and it just took her out like that. So, you know, nowadays, you don't know, I mean, because I think back when I was using drugs, I could, and I was from a small town, mm -hmm. I could go to the same drug dealer all day, all night. They knew me, my family, or whatever. But I knew them, you know. But nowadays, especially like in Dallas, so many different people selling drugs. Where you went this morning, they probably shut down. You got to go to somebody else in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Then you don't know what they're mixing it with, you know. So nowadays, it's just really dangerous. Not just because you're using drugs, but then you don't know. The concoctions that people are just randomly mixing, right? So I was thinking too about your other question about, uh, you know, there are people who use, misuse, abuse, and become addicted to drugs. So you have different levels. And there are people who can use socially. You know, they can smoke one joint a week and they're fine, or once a month, and they're social users. They never become addicted. But then you find those people where 
there's a pattern. Every time they use, this happens. And it keeps happening, then it gets worse. The consequences start getting greater. And so that's when you can start to identify a person that has a true addiction. When, when they do X, Y, and Z, this happens, and then it becomes a pattern. And then you'll see, like I was saying earlier, their life becomes unmanageable. They don't show up for work. They can't pay their bills. They start to deteriorate physically, things like that. And it's really clear that the addiction process is taking place. Are you enjoying The Help Show? Visit us at thehelpshow.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Periscope. What if, okay, so you guys are a rehab facility. Now, before somebody even steps foot here, let's just say you're a parent and you see your child sleeping more and often. Where can they obtain educational materials to kind of like read or, you know, where can people kind of obtain information? Is there like a website or is there, you know, is there like a hotline? Is there anything that people can do to kind of, because I feel like, you know, I don't know if a lot of people even realize that we have rehab facilities here in Dallas, you know, because when I Googled it, I was like, wow, there's, you know, like how does somebody, that's like the midpoint between, you know, thinking something's wrong, trying to seek help, and then coming to a facility like this. I mean, where do they receive that information? Well, the Council on Alcohol, the Council on alcohol and Drug Abuse, that's a great place to go for information. Mm-hmm. And um, they're located downtown off of, um, can't think of it right now, but the Council is a yes. place where they have a lot of information. Uh, they used to have videos, things like that, you can get information. Okay. As far as Nexus, we don't have a hotline, uh, but we do have, if a person calls, uh, we can give them referrals over the phone, where to go if we can't meet those needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they do call and they need help, we make them an appointment, mm-hmm. and we, when they get here, we triage them, get all the information, and then we, if we have a bed available, we try to get them into a bed immediately and we usually um, you know verify their insurance and then we have insurance that is for people who are indigent so they just have to bring documentation of where they live mm-hmm. and we could majority of the time get them approved for state funded insurance for the, so that they can have a bed at Nexus. That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So you guys I see on your website that you're like not-for-profit so does most of your funding come from the state, or how do you generate funding through the community? Like, how do you? Well, we do. Well, we have United Way. Mm-hmm. They fund us. Uh, we are de- funded by uh, Department of State Health Services, which is the okay. state, and then we're also funded by um, uh, Value Options, which is going away in January. But North Texas Behavioral Health, they will help with all the indigent clients okay. that present for treatment. And then, of course, we're always having fundraisers and. We have people that donate funds. We have a women's auxiliary. They raise funds for us every year. Mm -hmm. Uh, This year they funded the client care fund, which means if a client does not have means to stay in any few more days or whatever, then they will pay for them to stay, called client care fund. So we try to generate every way we can. So what what are your steps to recovery here? So when somebody calls and they need help, if there's space for them, they come in. What do you guys... You assess them, and then what do you guys immediately do? Like, 
Well, when they come in, they fill out a triage form, which mm -hmm. is ask them age, demographics, what all different drugs they use, how much, how often, mm -hmm. and then we take, then we talk about their circumstances, living, emotional, spiritual. We talk about all their circumstances, how they are now. We take that information and then we present it to the insurance company, mm -hmm. whether it be the state-funded one or Blue Cross Blue Shield, whatever insurance is, and then they really determine. They'll say, okay. They listen to all of that, and they'll say she has 14 days for giving her that we would pay for her to be at Nexus. So once we get that information, then we complete all the consent forms, you know, all of the initial paperwork, and then we just get them down to the door. And it's just that simple. I, I don't want to sound biased because I just met you, but I feel like with your team and the tidbit you've told me about your past, I feel like the success rate is higher mm -hmm. at a place like this. Like, what are the credentials and licensing for all the like all the staff here like what do you like if I wanted to come work here in the future what would I need well basically you would need to be a counselor intern mm -hmm. and an intern it means that you receive supervision from one of someone who is licensed and then we would you would go through supervision and then you would go take your test to be a LCDC that's the uh, a counselor yeah LCDC is a licensed chemical dependency counselor. We also have LPCs, which are master's level counselors, which is a licensed professional counselor. Then we have LPCI interns. So we, and then we have social workers, licensed social workers. So we have a gamut of different licensing. And we also have a, a Dr. Cindy Seaman. She supervises all of our interns. So she has two groups a week, I believe, with the interns to make sure that they are learning what they need to learn, mm -hmm. giving them directives, and she also coordinates all our training here at Nexus. So um, I'm looking to go back and to pursue what I really initially wanted to pursue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was a psych major before going into the dental field, and I do love my job, and mm -hmm. I feel like I need more of an outlet to really reach out to people, mm -hmm. like hands-on. So, and you know, the background, it plays a large role in really understanding somebody and where they come from and what they're feeling. So I bless this place for having you. Um, and so what is the patient to ratio, like patient, like patient counselor ratio like, yeah? Well, adolescent program is um, eight to one during uh, wake hours, sleep hours is 16 to one. Uh, but primarily all the counselors have a caseload from 8 to 10 clients. Mm -hmm. It's just under that they see for individual sessions, things like that. Why is the ratio greater at nighttime? Because they're asleep. Mm -hmm. Because like, you when you have, well especially like an adolescent, when you have 8, uh, say you have 20 clients, mm -hmm. it's supposed to be 8 per person. Like if they come to the cafeteria, they she can only take 8. Mm -hmm. But if, it's, if they're asleep at night, they're all together. They're all together, and then they're asleep, so you don't have that much activity going on. But like in the daytime, it's a fight breakout, or you know something happens. You need to have people to account for them or help to assist with situations. So it's just higher in the day. When you guys, when you guys treat the patient here, is is it always like a group setting, or is there like individualized treatment? Oh yeah, our treatment is individualized, and all all patients here have an individual counselor okay. that they meet an hour once a week. That's amazing. Yeah, so but then when they're in a group, I think the group 
is 16 to 1 because mm -hmm. you can only have so many in a process yeah. group or a group uh, with a therapist. Do you guys go beyond, I mean, just, so you're treating a drug addiction, a substance abuse issue. Do you guys also address, like, men mental health wellness, spiritual wellness? Like, do you guys? Well, we have groups that we call didactic groups, which are a teaching group. So we may have a group on life skills. We may have a group on relapse prevention. We may have a group on uh, anger management. We do groups like that, but then the process groups are more of a feelings groups, mm -hmm. which there are groups where, of course, they bring their journal, they bring their assignments, and they talk about what they're actually working on, opposed to the other groups, you're teaching them something. That's amazing. Yeah. So the recovery, I'm assuming the recovery right here is pretty successful? Mm -hmm. I would say, I would say at least by 65%, mm -hmm. and that's really good, I mean, because you know, it just says statistically, a lot of people won't get it the first time. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've been here, what, 20 years, and I've seen people come in as an adolescent, mm -hmm. a couple years come in as an adult, come back two or three years later in the Women and Children program. So I've seen people come back a lot of times, cycle through all the programs, and then finally get it when they're an outpatient one of these times. Mm -hmm. You know, so. And then it just depends on what the definition of success is yes. because you could have a person come in, they own all the drugs, but when they come back, they just down to one drug. Yeah. So, you know, it's like harm reduction, let's reduce what you have been doing, mm -hmm. you know, and that's one thing I like about over here in uh, recovery support services is that um, you always be a part over here. It's not like if you relapse, then we're not in connection with you. But this program over here is something that's needed to happen because a lot of people feel shame and guilt about yeah. uh, coming back. And I want to see my old counselor. What's she going to think of me? And they feel like they failed. Yes. So it, it I would say 65 to 70%, which is good because considering a lot of people don't make it the first time. You know, it's, uh, it's rare that people do make it, but we have, have people that make it. So when you, okay, so when people are recovering, like people, I think the population when asked, like, is drug addiction or substance abuse curable? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not a term we would use. I've been clean 26 years, uh -huh. and even though I'm not using drugs, I have to watch addictive behaviors in other areas of my life. I'm a DJ too, right? <laughs> so I've been DJing for like... Where? Everywhere for like 19 years, I've been DJing. I'm gonna get your information. <laughs> yeah, so but I looked up and see you know, beat headphones and all this stuff. Uh -huh. So I have become obsessed with these beat headphones. You know, they're cute and they sound good. But what I had to take a look at is I was trying to get every color that came out, I was trying to I become obsessed with them. And I'm like, okay, I'm spending money on this, I really don't need to spend, but it's just that obsessive mm -hmm. thinking that comes from uh, being addicted. So they say, you know, when you stay clean off of drugs, it can manifest itself in other ways. Yes. You know, becoming obsessed with something. And so I was just sharing about that uh, with some people at the meeting. Like, if y'all hear me talking about some earphones, please stop me, you know, have people holding me accountable, yeah. you know, because, you know, uh, it's something I like, you know, and but it can become a problem. You know, and especially some I don't even really need them, you know. Mm -hmm. But that's how addiction, when you say, is it ever curable, 
you don't ever want to think, because see, they say a drug is a drug is a drug. You don't want to, a lot of people think, well, since I don't use crack, then I can drink. If I don't drink, since alcohol is my drug of choice, then I can smoke marijuana. No, you cannot. Because it's the feel, the thing of, they say it's a feelings disease. So anything that changes your feeling, you're going to like it. So even though my drug of choice was not, uh, if my drug of choice was crack and I'm drinking, I could have me enough drinks to where my judgment can become blurred. Yes. And I could say, oh, well, I can do that one. You know, but in addiction, they say one is too many and a thousand never enough. You never get enough. You know, and then it not only just starts stabbing, it leads you to those people. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, now all of a sudden I'm hanging out at the happy hour every other day with everybody when I didn't do that. And then that'll get old. Then I'll start going from happy hour to maybe over some friend's house where they yes. carry the party after the party. Then I go to the restroom, somebody, and they're using cocaine. I'm like, oh, well, I'm a little tick. I can try that. So it just not only leads from that drug, but it leads to that people, the lifestyle, you know, when you see that commercial with somebody smoking marijuana. Sun's come up and then sun going down, they still on the sofa. Mm-hmm. Been smoking weed all day and then they realize they've been on the sofa all day. Non productive life. Mm-hmm. You know. So it just that's why we say a drug is a drug is a drug and we do not want to uh empower if you want to change your way your feeling, it's something positive that you can do beside using drugs. I think people tend to step out of being held accountable and then they can rationalize. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so when somebody leaves Nexus and, you know, they don't necessarily come back to the treatment, but mm-hmm. they need ongoing support, mm-hmm. is, that, is there something you guys offer to the people that need that? Mm-hmm. Like our program, uh, Recovery Support Services, we had a lot of people, it was a girl called me today, uh, she she was supposed to come in yesterday, mm-hmm. and she was in the program. We were following her for a wee bit, and she just disappeared. So I just kept calling the number that I had, which was her mom's number, or sister's number. And her sister, well, I saw her today, didn't see her, and her sister called me. I finally found her, I gave her your number, she's gonna call. She called, and then I told her to get up here. She was supposed to come yesterday. She called, left a message. I didn't make it there yesterday because she had to babysit somebody. Oh, now all of a sudden, you from out there on the streets, now you babysitting somebody, which I know she probably still getting out. She just said that. Yeah. But I said, okay, well, come up here tomorrow, you know, and I'll be here, whatever. But uh, And we've been, and I tried to get her to give me the address. But she said, I don't want you coming over here, da da because we will go out. When they you call, we will go get them. Yeah. We're going to. And so but she said, she. but the good thing is she calling, and she keep calling. And yeah, I've been calling my sister, I know, for the past three months, every month, every other week, calling, mm-hmm. checking in. But it finally paid off. So we will go out there. If they're asking for help, mm-hmm. we'll go out there and get them and bring them up here. Are you guys equipped and trained for escalated situations? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well... <laughs> well one of the things that um, we go into, mm-hmm. and we just operate, I mean, I operate on a lot of faith, because mm-hmm. we get escalated situations here at Nexus all the time, not all the time, but we've had clients to fight, yeah. we've had people to come up here with guns, like, well, we had the police department, we have security, not often, yeah. but we've it's- had it to happen, but in this kind of situation, 
I feel like that uh, number one by us going in twos and we assess the situation before we get out the car. If it's too dangerous, it looks dangerous, we don't go. We turn around and we come back. Okay. But we've never had anything to happen. And then for the majority of us over here, we've been on drugs, we've been in bad situations. And my thing is, if God brought me this far, then so be it. You know, somebody got to take a risk. And most times it's going to be somebody that's already been in that situation. Mm -hmm. You know, so as far as being trained on, we have recovery coach training as to what to look for let people know where you're going like Mr. Farsh he went to help a girl move this morning I told him leave me the address where you're going if you pull up it look dangerous then you don't go in whatever so we talk about those steps but most of the time I mean we've never had anything to happen but you know nowadays it can go down anywhere you know but we have to be willing and it's like another one of my coaches I said well we just gonna go over there she said I'm not comfortable going because she, she didn't want to go. Yeah. I said, well, okay, I'll go with me and somebody else to go. I don't force my staff to go where they mm -hmm. don't want to go. And then this particular staff person, she's an older person mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. So, you know, I don't put make them go, especially if they verbalize that yeah. they're afraid. But I'll go. I don't care. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you would like to share or give advice to people that may be in the situation or personal experience of like words of strength, hope? Well, the the, the like my necklace say it just mm -hmm. um, don't stop loving the person, mm -hmm. don't give up on the person, and don't enable the person. Don't say, oh, if I give them another $20, they'll stop. Or if I take them to the mall, they'll stop. Or if I give them, uh, sometimes we can love people to death. And let the person, even though it's hard to see a person hit the bottom, I always say, get out the way and let God do his work. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, people don't hit bottom because family keeps stepping in, trying to make it right, trying to rescue them, trying to love mm -hmm. me. But when you... I, it's a saying I think that TDJ said, love never loses a fight. So if you just love that person and step back, let them know that you're there for them. Don't fuss at them. Don't dictate to them. Don't try to point out everything they're doing wrong because believe me, they know. But when you step back and allow that person to hit their own bottom and then they reach up for help, it's easy for you to reach down. But when a person is not hearing the help, then that means that God don't want you to do it. Mm -hmm. Because he's, that's just my own belief that, mm -hmm. you know, when you step out the way, because I say experience is the best teacher, when people experience the pain and all of this that they have to go through, then they'll change. It's the mm -hmm. saying too that pain changes things. Yeah. When people get enough pain and misery, then they'll do something to change it. Otherwise, that's the way they choose to live. Mm -hmm. But keep loving the person, giving them information, Back off from them, set strong boundaries with them, and don't don't let them cross those boundaries, you know. Mm -hmm. um, because I know, like, my mom and dad were both teachers. Got doctors all that in my family. Um, and the last time when I went to, they wouldn't even give me a $5 bus. I mean, it wasn't busted, but they wouldn't give, yeah, it was. They wouldn't even give me $5 to even ride the bus. And I was like, that's the best thing happened to me, though. You know, because they always did for me, made excuses yeah. for me. But when I had to get out there and find out on my own, then I could look around and say, you know, the world is passing me by, but I got to do something. 
can't help those that don't want to help And then they can't do it for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody's working harder in my life than I'm working at it. It's true. Yeah. And so that's why I tell the clients here next is I say, well, we're going to be behind you 110%, but we can't work harder your recovery than you're working at. So, and especially us over here in recovery, you know, we'll just say, look, you know, we can talk to them more straightforward than the uh, counselor. Because ethically, over here, it's kind of different, which I kind of like. You know, you can kind of, you know, talk to them, you know, hardcore, mm-hmm. not hardcore, but the truth, truth teller is what we call it in our training. We can be more truthful with them about yeah. the reality of what's happening, opposed to a counselor. You're just working on treatment strategies and stuff like that. So. Okay, Ian. One last question: yes. Your fundraisers are they open to the pop, like the public, or is there information on your website so that we can kind of like let people know if they want to partake in it? For the yeah. community. Yes, and that will be because Alicia Peoples, who you yeah. mentioned earlier, she is our PR person. Yeah. And she does all the fundraisers and like we're getting ready to have a West for Golf tournament mm-hmm. Monday and then there's an auction on Sunday. Okay. So I don't know like who's invited to the auction. I know the yeah. staff is, okay. but I don't know how, how their policy works as far as other people coming okay. to the fund to the auctions, but that would be a question for her. And I'm pretty sure it will be open, but I'll let her answer that. Yeah. Thank you for your willingness to be a part of the help show and spreading awareness of community. Okay. I'll be excited (laughs) to hear that. Thank you. For more information, visit us on our website at thehelpshow.com. Thank you for listening and please stay tuned.